You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. As a man, I am primarily responsible for my safety, not the government. My attitude toward law enforcement is to reduce stress. I've been pulled over for speeding numerous times. My attitude has created many warning tickets and no violence. Too many young black men have been programmed to hate and fear the police. The hate and fear spark resistance, which elevates frustration. It's a tragedy what has happened to Tyree Nichols. But let's don't blame racism. Let's examine attitude. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Guess who I am? I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. We've made it through another week. It's been an awesome week. It's going to be an even better ending to the week. Fantastic. Awesome show planned for you today. Delano Squires, Shamika Michelle, Steve Kim will all be here. We're going to talk about a major issue uh, plaguing or about to plague this country, the Tyreek Nichols situation in Memphis. We'll get into that in my fire starter. We'll talk about that with uh, Delano Squires and Shamika Michelle. Before we do that, I want to tell you guys about my great friends at Patriot Mobile. Thanks to your support, Patriot Mobile has emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy. And they have big news. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. This means if you're with the big three and like the service but hate their values, you can access them with Patriot Mobile. They also offer a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between the three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. So you get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. This new year, Resolve to stop supporting companies that don't align with your values. Patriot Mobile, 100% U.S.-based customer service team, makes switching easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com Jason or call them at 873-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Jason. That's patriotmobile.com Jason or call 878-PATRIOT. There you have it. Easy. All three major carriers, you get to support a company that supports you and your values. What's not to love? What's not to like? Make it happen. <clears throat> All right. And this conversation we're about to have is why you need to be supporting companies and corporations that support your values, because the other side is trying to tear down this country, and we need to be pushing back. Let's have this discussion. Let me get into this fire starter about uh, Tyree Nichols. The tragic death of Tyree Nichols raises the possibility that the conflict 
between law enforcement and black men has more to do with attitude than racism. Nichols, a 29-year-old Memphis man, died 17 days ago after a violent encounter with five Memphis police officers. Video footage of that encounter is scheduled for public release today. People who have seen the body camera footage say it reminds them of the Rodney King tape. King, of course, was brutally beaten by Los Angeles police officers in 1991 at the conclusion of a long police chase. Rodney King survived. The city of Los Angeles nearly didn't. The 1992 acquittal of the officers who beat King set off six days of violent rioting in Los Angeles that left 63 people dead and more than 2,000 people injured. It took the Marines, the Army, and the National Guard to stop the rioting in Los Angeles. Similar violence could beset Memphis this weekend. In fact, the Tyreek Nichols video could spark nationwide rioting. Nichols could be George Floyd 2.0. CNN sent Don Lemon to Memphis to fan the flames. Memphis police chief Cyril Davis is doing her part to hype unrest. She's con conducted multiple interviews that, in my opinion, are aimed at increasing maximum anger and hostility. Let's take a listen. Let's take a look. I think, don't we have some footage between her and, and, and Don Lemon? Let's, let's take a look at that now. Let's talk about the video. Yes. Um, it has been said that it is reminiscent perhaps worse than the Rodney King video. Is that your assessment? That's my assessment. Really? I, was, I was in law enforcement during the Rodney King um, uh, incident, and it's, it's, you know, very much aligned with that same type of behavior. It, that it's worse? Sort of groupthink. Um, I, would, I would say it's about the same, if not worse. If not worse. If not worse. Yep. According to reports, after a routine traffic stop, Nichols fled the scene. Police chased and or searched for Nichols for seven minutes and then beat him up for three minutes. The five police officers have been fired and charged with second degree murder. Like Nichols, the five officers are young black men. The oldest officer is 32. The youngest is 24. Sterling Davis, the police chief, as you could see for yourself, is a black woman. Her predecessor, Michael Rawlings was a black man. His predecessor, Tony Armstrong, was a black man. The city of Memphis is 65% black and is beset with a troubling pattern of black men killing each other. The case of Tyree Nichols tells a different story than the Rodney King case. Rodney King was black before officers tried for assaulting King were white. Corporate media framed the Rodney King case as an example of police misconduct fueled by racism. Perhaps there's a different common denominator in cases of police violence. Maybe the proper narrative focuses on attitude and frustration. Perhaps an attitude of resistance triggers lethal frustration among law enforcement. Maybe people, regardless of color, who do not resist the commands and authority of law enforcement never trigger lethal frustration from police. Let me add some context, critical context. 
People right now, I'm sure, oh, Whitlock's caping up for the police. Whitlock doesn't know what he's talking about. Whitlock can't stand black people. None of that's true. Unlike most of you and most of my critics, I actually know exactly how Tyree Nichols' family feels. As I've shared previously, in 2012, my cousin, Anton Butler, was tasered to death by Indianapolis sheriffs in the storming rain. The sheriffs claimed he resisted arrest and forced them to use their tasers. I helped raise Anton. I bought him school clothes and Christmas gifts, read books with him. He, his brother and cousins spent summers with me in Kansas City when they were children. I loved Anton. I paid for his funeral. I believe the sheriffs overreacted and caused his death. I also believe Anton made a mistake resisting their commands. Policing is a frustrating, high-stress job. It's a mistake to increase the stress and frustration of police officers. You can trigger them to combust. As a man, I am primarily responsible for my safety, not the government. My attitude toward law enforcement is to reduce stress. I've been pulled over for speeding numerous times. My attitude has created many warning tickets and no violence. Too many young black men have been programmed to hate and fear the police. They hate and fear, their hate and fear sparks resistance, which elevates frustration. It's tragic what happened to Tyree Nichols. It's tragic what happened to my cousin, Anton. I will live with that painful memory for the rest of my life. His mama and brother live with that memory every day. The frustration of law enforcement is not color-coded. Black and white officers feel the exact same frustration and lose control of themselves at the same rate. We can't, we can't keep doing the exact same things and expecting new results. How many cities must burn to the ground before we change the discussion about law enforcement and the black community? I get why Ben Crump doesn't want to change the discussion. Racializing these conflicts makes Crump rich. I get why Al Sharpton doesn't want to change the discussion. Racializing these conflicts increase Sharpton's popularity and relevance. Crump is representing the Nichols family. Sharpton is flying into Memphis to officiate Nichols' funeral. Don Lemon is in Memphis to document the inevitable looting and violence that will damage a predominantly black city. Joe Biden and Democrat politicians will tell black voters that the racism of white conservatives caused five black police officers to kill a black man in a city totally controlled by Democrats. <laughs> it won't cross anybody's mind to analyze the mindset and attitudes of young black men. We love to resist authority and we think it's acceptable that that resistance leads to deadly conflict. We can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. I am not caping up for the police. They've been charged with second degree murder. I haven't seen the video. They're going to get what's coming to them. I'm here arguing and suggesting, let's quit talking about this in racial terms and racial dynamics because it doesn't matter who you put in those blue uniforms. They get frustrated. 
when they are faced with resistance and they lose their minds and do inappropriate things. And you can sit there and say, well, they signed up for the job. If you were placed in that position or you need to be man or woman enough to sign up for that job and then see if you are always in perfect control of yourself. This is about the, the, the most effective strategy that, that could end this is a change of attitude towards law enforcement. My attitude is most important as it relates to my safety. That, that goes with anybody that I'm dealing with. What, and, and I've been this way and I used to be, you know, I, I used to be really, really strong, really, really stupid. But I always felt like I, I got smart enough to realize my behavior can keep me out of trouble and out of harm's way. I don't have to go looking for conflict. And so this, this, this attitude that I'm talking about, this attitude adjustment, it's not just with law enforcement. It's with my attitude and behavior towards other black men. I'm not looking for conflict ever with anybody. I want to be left alone. And so I hit people with positive energy. And then if they don't respond to that positive energy, I move on. Because I'm in control of what happens to me. I don't leave that to others. I don't, who knows what kind of day any person is having. The person in front of you at the drive-thru, the person standing in front of you at a convenience store, or at Walmart, or, or at a nightclub. It's not about being a punk, it's about taking control and responsibility for yourself. Change your attitude. And so we got a bunch of black men, the police officer, I think Mills is 32 years old, Tyree is 29 years old, and then there's another one named Bean, I think that's 24 years old. But that's the age group, 32 to 24. Constant conflict. Take the police out of it. That age group in Memphis, among black, shooting and killing each other at a record clip. And now, because the media and it profits the media and other people, when, it, when this kind of conflict spills out and turns deadly and law enforcement's in, involved, it's always a racial problem. It's always the system. No one ever wants to talk about our attitude towards each other. And I'm talking about the cops' attitude as well. There is a problem with black men getting along with each other and resolving conflict without turning to violence. We can stay in denial and, and, and we can sit there and oh, it's, it's systemic racism and we gotta disband law enforcement. That's all easy to say over Twitter, but it's a joke if you actually live in these communities where law enforcement is desperately needed. Take a break and we'll get a little smarter on the other side. We'll bring Delano Squires into the conversation. We'll also talk with Delano. He's written a column about uh, Ron DeSantis and black history. We'll, we'll touch on that a, a little bit as well. 
Uh, I want to tell you before I get out of here, make sure you're signing up for the roll call event uh, in Nashville on April 15th, 2023. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. It's only 100 bucks to come and be inspired and fellowship with other believers and, and return to your, communi uh, your community with a game plan for bettering yourself and bettering your community. We're gonna have a lot of good speakers, we're gonna have some good music, we're gonna have great food, we're gonna fellowship together. Once you here, wanna meet all of you. Appreciate getting your notes and emails, but need you to go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. Delano Squires, next. Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let him chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let him sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let him make the Bible hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers.
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Washington, D.C., bring in Delano Squires to talk about this Tyree Nichols uh, situation. Delano, I, I have, you know, I'm near, what am I, probably 20 years older than you. I'm, I'm not sure how old that makes you during the Rodney King uh, violence in 1992, but I, I have a great fear of, of seeing that type of violence mm-hmm. as it relates to this Tyree Nichols situation. Uh, that's what's driving uh, my concern and, and plea to l- let's, let's not pretend like violence and rioting and looting fixes this problem or improves mm. this problem in any way. It, it, it are, are you, I don't want to speculate, but I, I don't like the way the, the police chief, you're going to see acts that defy humanity, I think is one of the quotes. Uh, she said to Don Lemon, and, and I just feel like they're throwing gas on a very combustible situation that, that we need a different approach and a different conversation around these issues than uh, violence and looting and, oh, look how racist the police force is. This police force has been run by black people for more than a decade. All these police officers are black. Uh, the young man is black, and it's 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 a group of young black men that ended with a black man dead. That that's commonplace in Memphis and a lot of cities around the country. We need a different conversation around this. Do you agree? I mean, I definitely agree in terms of the, co- the conversation that's needed. Um, the people who have the the largest platforms to sort of speak into these issues um, know nothing. Uh, this, this actually gets to, to my column. I know we'll get to that, but it's because they, they've all been trained to think a particular way. And, and what happens is if the five officers were white, then the, they would be beating the white supremacy drum with a lot more force. But since they're black, they still beat the drum. It's just not as loud. It's, oh, well, these white, these black police officers are doing the work of white supremacy by doing X, Y, and Z. And, and um, I, I think what it does, it obscures some legitimate issues around uh, policing and power and authority. Um, I think it also does obscure some needed conversations around you know, how we as citizens should interact with law enforcement. And I say that in general, regardless of color, because obviously I haven't seen the video, so I can't speak to what's on it. But I, I will say one thing, um, and, and I, I take a, a different position than you do in terms of how the chief has been framing it. I actually think what she's trying to do is lower the temperature and let off um, some steam from the pressure valve. Think of it this way, Jason. Let's say somebody comes to you and says, Jason, I I, I need a huge favor. I really need something huge from you." you. Sometimes people will do that even though it's not a big thing so that you prepare yourself for what is coming. And then when they say, hey, can you just write me, you know, a quick recommendation for college? You'll say, oh. Well, that's not that big. 
and then you'll you'll go on about your business. And I think what she's trying to do is prepare people for for what they're going to see um, so that it's not as stark the first time that they see the video. And again, she says it's worse than Rodney King. I like to make my own judgments on things. Um, Again, I, I think there could be a priming effect where people who may not have otherwise thought Rodney King will now think that. I also think there's an effect that says, you know, by preparing yourself mentally for what you may see, digesting it may be a little bit easier than it otherwise would have if you just saw the video cold without any other context. I, I thought about that and and I don't think it's effective. I, I, I think that those types of words given the way the system is rigged now in terms of of Antifa and these other terrorist groups that run around the country and promote chaos and violence, I, I, I think she's like sending out a bat signal to the kids in Portland or whoever these nut jobs, the kids that are in Atlanta and were doing the rioting last week in Atlanta. Oh man, you better, it's going to be hot. Get to Memphis. It, it, this is going to be, this is the worst of the worst. This is worse than George Floyd. This is worse than Rodney King. And, and so you saw how bad the rioting was there. It's even more justified here. I, I don't, and this is nitpicking because I, again, I get that she's in a tough spot. Everybody in Memphis is in a tough spot. But I'm even questioning like a Friday night release of this footage mm. where everybody's off work, everybody's headed into the weekend, everybody's gonna have plenty of free time, and we're gonna release this video. Well, everybody's home from work. Now let's release the video. And now you guys have the weekend to do what you want as opposed to they've had the video. If you release it on a Wednesday, people have their work routines. People, it, it's, everybody meet in Memphis Friday night. Mm. It's gonna be live, y'all. If you can't get there Friday night, you can get there Saturday morning. It's still gonna be popping. And I know I'm second guessing them, but I don't even like the Friday night release of this. It just seems prime for maximum impact. Well, the only thing I would assume is that, uh, and I'm, I'm obviously you've been in journalism and media for, for obviously a lot longer than I have, but I always hear people say, well, you release things on a Friday night when you don't really want people to pay attention to them. I don't know if this is one of those things where this is such a, um, you know, uh, a controversial issue that people are going to pay attention to it, pay attention to it anyway. What I will say is this, there's no part of me that thinks that a police executive in Memphis wants is saying what she's saying to signal to Antifa and BLM to gather in her city. Because even when they work for, you know, liberal mayors or left-leaning mayors, the police tend to be conservative, generally speaking, because their whole job is to uphold law and order. Um, now, the activists may do it for that reason. They, they may want to get people riled up and pumped up. And that's why it's not just in Memphis. I, as I was reading stories about it, I was hearing, oh, police chiefs in, in different cities, Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. and Baltimore are preparing for X, Y, and Z. And, and that just goes to show you that um, the issue here is really not about crime. It's really not about, you know, Tyree Nichols and, and, and the loss of his life. Th this is about 
a, a specific worldview, ideology, and, and political agenda. It's about using these instances, regardless of how rare, in order to advance a particular worldview. And that worldview, the, the final destination for that worldview is the complete abolition of prisons, police, and all systems of carceral control. There are people who think that if you if you took all the money that you gave to the police and put it into education and social services and low-income housing, that by doing so, you would eliminate crime. There are people who actually think that. And that's why they use these instances to say, oh, it's not a few bad apples. This is just policing as a system. Now, these same people do not take the same perspective into other areas of public sector service. So when they hear about a sexual abuse scandal in, involving a teacher, or hundreds of them, which I've seen on, on Yahoo over the years, teacher sleeping with this student, teacher um, stripping for this student for his birthday in the classroom, so on and so on and so forth, they never look at those incidents, isolated as they may be, and say, um, this is representative of all of teaching writ large. They only do it when it comes to, to policing. So uh, I think we should guard against sort of an overreaction to these things. I think that these, these individual officers should be held accountable for their actions. Um, I will say this, I understand sort of when you are a person that's in authority, I understand how easily it is to overreact. And I think this is why biblically, you know, the, the uh, particularly like in the New Testament, when you get to the household codes, God has instructions to both husbands and wives wives, those in authority and those under authority. And it typically goes something like the one who is in authority, do not abuse it, do, do not become spiteful, right? Do not uh, provoke people to, to anger. And the one under authority is typically yield, yield your will to the one that's over you. So whether the word is yield or whether it's submit, it, it's those two things go along one, one to another. And even as a parent, sometimes I may react you know, if, if I'm if I'm trying to discipline my children and, and they are rebelling against me and rebelling against my discipline, there have been times this morning where I may react, you know, um, in a way that's not consistent w with what I believe. And that's for and I love my children. I would die for my children. So so I only say that to say if that dynamic exists between me and, and the fruit of my loin, I know it exists out in the street between law enforcement and the citizenry where they are having to deal with people sometimes at their worst moments all day long. And, and I think it's a lot to ask them basically to be perfect, right? But perfection is not always needed because Jason, let's say this video comes out and, and it shows they stopped the guy. Let's say that they stopped him with cause. He tries to run, they apprehend him, they get him in the cuffs. And once he's in the cuffs, they commence to beating him for three minutes straight. That's a very, very different situation than if some of the ones we see, like like the one um, in California involving Patrice Cullors' cousin, where he allegedly got into a hit and run. Cop got him on the on the on the on the sidewalk. He's talking to him. He's trying to de-escalate the situation. The guy is is amping up. He looks like he's high on something. He's running. The police try to get him, apprehend him. He's he's fighting them off, and they use a taser to 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 put the cuffs on him and he ends up dying. Those are not the same situation. Uh, and I think it's, it is helpful to um, look at those 
instances as individual instances with their own set of facts and circumstances and to judge and adjudicate them accordingly. What I will find interesting and potentially most damning on the video is if all five of these guys, if there wasn't one of them that wasn't trying, hey, hey, stop, slow yeah. down, hey, you know, we've done enough, or, you know, if, if they've all five of them have followed the lead of one, two, or three of them, that will be really damning and, and will, again, speak to, to, hey, look, we can't just examine this along racial lines. What is going on in law enforcement? What's going on in our society that law enforcement feels like it's in a war with the people they're supposed to be policing? And, and what have we done in the culture to make the people that are being policed believe that I need to run away and resist the commands of law enforcement? And because and, mm. and, what I find baffling about that second part that I bring up is like every time that I comply and hit the police with positive reinforcement, it's got to have a 99% effective rate for me. And I, mm. I, I've had cops try to bait me, and I've just stayed steadfast in positive energy, positive energy, because it's just like a strategy. And, and it's like, let's don't pretend like we're not capable of that. Guys in pursuit of women, and you get mm. turned down over and over and over and over again. The effective strategy isn't to start calling it the B word and the H word. Right. It's to stay positive and, she, and she'll flip. I've seen, I've done it. Because no one ever tells me yes the first time out the box. And so it, it just, we need to have a more nuanced conversation. And instead, I think we're in for some violence that could affect all, you know, you live in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I could see it spilling out there and in Philadelphia and other cities and any place where, you know, unparented kids look for a reason to cause mayhem and destruction. Yeah. We could see it. And it, it just it just makes me sad and scared. And, and Jason, it's not just policing. Again, it's, it's, it's the relationship between um, order and authority. Uh, I've seen videos this week of, of teachers in fights with students and students cursing at the teachers, snatching at their hair, take, pulling off their wigs, slamming them to the floor. Um, th these are things that happen when, when disorder rules the day. And now, I will say this about policing. Um, I, I've, I've, you know, familiar enough in, in this area to know that there are certain dynamics that are, that are at play, right? Now, I don't think they're unique to policing. I just think they're more intensified. And one of those is, is sort of the group cohesion and this is why it's so hard to get officers to testify against one another and, and certainly to do that and then remain on the force because you'll get a, you know, a dead rat on your desk or a piece of cheese on your desk so that people let you know, hey, we don't appreciate what it is you're doing. So it creates a disincentive for someone to step up and say, hey, guys, that's enough. But this is just basic group dynamics. If, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your team at Ball State or when you were in high school we're getting into a squabble with another squad. More likely than not, somebody's not going to say, oh, God, hey, guys, that's enough. It's like we're going to fight until the fight is over. 
And if we have to deal with one another because, you know, one of us might have gone too far, we'll deal with that at a different time. And the police who on the street need to know that somebody is watching their sick, somebody's watching their back, are a lot less likely to, to do some of that intervention work in real time. I, I think it would be nice if it happened. And every once in a while, I have seen it happen. I saw an incident where um, a young officer tried to intervene when I, a senior officer, I think he might have been a sergeant, was threatening a guy, handcuffed, he was handcuffed in the back of the car, and he was like, I'll effing kill you, and this and the next. And she tugged at his belt, at his utility belt, and he turned around and gripped her up by the neck and pushed her back and said, don't you ever effing touch me again, so on and so on and so forth. I think he was fired, but it's extremely difficult to do that in real time, right? And she showed a lot of courage. Now, I'm not sure where her policing career is now, but it's it's hard to do that. Um, So a lot of it is gonna get sorted out, you know, when the video comes out. And, and I think the process is working the way it should. If, if the video substantiates charges against these officers, they've, been, they've already been charged and they will have their day in court and that's what our system demands. But I, I do not think that we should cede this conversation to the activists and the radicals um, because they want a completely different system than, or they don't want reform, they want dismantling. They think all cops are bastards, and they don't think we should have policing at all. But I think as, as conservatives, I think we should, we should, again, stick to the facts, address these situations as they come. But, and here it is, Jason, be consistent. Because, and I'm, I'm going to push back on you a little bit, if we believe that compliance is needed on the street when it comes to young black men in Memphis, somebody else is going to make the same argument and say, look, if, if uh, Ashley Babbitt was more compliant on January 6th, she would be alive today. Because whatever people were doing in the Capitol, trying to climb through a window to a secure location was not a good idea. And, and I would say that that's true. The same way I would say it was true if some Antifa people in Seattle try to take over a police station and the police are trying to hold it down because they don't want to be run out of their own station and one of them tried to break through a window in, in the secure part of the building and they end up getting shot I say it's tragic but if you come out to do something like that you should know that this is one of the potential consequences and this is why I never speak in the language of oh this person deserved to die that's not my language I speak in the language of Actions have consequences. Sometimes those consequences are unforeseen. Sometimes the consequences don't match up with the action. If I'm a kid and I leave my house for school and I'm walking down the street and somebody does a drive-by, that's not a consequence of my action. But if I'm a young person, if I'm a grown man or, or listen, I'm a grown man and I engage in a, in a fight with the police on the street, if I try to reach for their gun or for their taser, it's possible that they may take me in, you know, with minimal force, but it's also quite possible that I may lose my life that day. That doesn't mean I deserved it. That just means that I should have known that this is one of the potential consequences of the specific action that I'm taking. And as such, I should govern myself accordingly. I, 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 I love your point about Ashley Babbitt. You've made me, you that was a punch in the face or, or made me go, ooh, that's interesting. I, I've now come up with my response, though. 
Okay. Is, and I think it's a perfectly fine point. I think it's something we should think about. But, but I'll say this. If that cop, and I can't remember his name at the moment, if he had taken his baton and whacked Ashley Babbitt across the face, I wouldn't be all that upset. If he had punched her in the face, if he had kicked her in the chest, I wouldn't be all that upset. Took out a gun and shot her. That's why I'm upset. Tyree Nichols didn't get shot. I think he got tased and beaten. If, if, if the guy had tased Ashley Babbitt, I don't know if I'd be all that upset. Dude shot her. That's why I'm upset. I think you make a perfectly fine point that I need to deal with and others need to deal with, and we definitely need to be consistent. Um, but I, I'm just, you know, shooting that woman in that spot for me. <laughs> That's a bridge too far. Understood. And I, I, I'm sure you agree with that as well, but you're also saying, hey, just make sure your logic is consistent. And I, I appreciate you doing that. Delano, I'm, I need you to be, you know what? I'm not even going to ask you to be quick. Can't get to the Ron DeSantis uh, history deal today. I, I'm up against it. I got to move on to Shamika it's all and good. get Steve Kim in here. Uh, but I will say, everybody, go read Delano's column on Ron DeSantis and the whole black history, uh, queer affirming black history that is being rejected in Florida. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Delano. Have thank a you, great Jason. weekend. We'll see you next week. Uh, you can email us at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. She make Michelle there. All right, welcome back. Time for some Shamoke show. Shamika Michelle. Shamika, we're going to stay on this Tyree Nichols uh, topic. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this Cyrilyn Davis, I believe, was the chief of police in Durham, North Carolina, before moving on to uh, Memphis. I don't, I don't know if you're aware, aware of that, but I, I kind of I want to start there with Cyrilyn Davis and Delano and I. Uh, kind of disagree about, I, I think she's fueling the flames and fueling the fire with some of her comments. I want to play uh, a clip or two of her talking with uh, Don Lemon. Let's play those clips and then I want your take. Was it released later on, on a Friday after 6.30 uh, Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time? Was that, we we're, were told, I don't know if it's true, you can confirm it, mm -hmm. it was so that the officers could leave the building safely no. in case there are protests, no? No, no, not then, at all. Then why? Well, we, we think about the entire public, to tell you the truth. We thought about schools, we thought about uh, business, and we felt like uh, Friday afternoon, if there were individuals decided they wanted to peacefully protest, at least other individuals would have you know, gone home, schools would be out, and it wouldn't be as disruptive as it would have been if we released it on a, on a Wednesday afternoon. It's five black officers, a black police chief, a black community. What do you make of the race of the officers and what that says to the community and to the country about the policing, the care? Well, I think it does, it takes off the table that issues and problems in law enforcement is about race, and it is not. It's about human dignity, integrity, accountability, and the duty to protect our community. And 
as as this video will show you, it doesn't matter who's wearing the uniform, that we all have that same responsibility. So it takes race off the table, but it does indicate to me that bias might be a factor also in, you know, in the manner in which we we engage the community. Those clips I, I kind of like. There's other clips where, you know, she's, she says, and again, maybe it does defy humanity what they did. I, I like the fact of her acknowledging that it takes race off the table, uh, but, but she's not in position to go where it, it really needs to go because she says, well, bias. And like, are there, is there bias against young black men? Well, hold on. These dudes were all either, including Tyree Nichols, 32 to 24. So, and maybe we need to have that discussion. Maybe we as black men do have a bias against each other and we need to talk about that. But we certainly need to quit talking about these issues in terms of race. To me, this is about attitude and mindset of, on both sides. And, and anyway, I, I, there's an opportunity to have a different discussion that I think we're not gonna have. Uh, yes, uh, Jason, she was the police chief here and she sucked, uh, just as the female mayor that we have now sucks as well. I think that the crime in the city has only gotten worse under female leadership, and most people here in Durham will agree with me. I do agree with your column, Jason, and your monologue that we do have to look at this aside from race. And although this is a horrific tragedy, that's the good thing in this, that it's, it's different. And we can now address some other issues that I think we have failed to look at in the past. One, I do think we have an overreach of the state, which the police is an arm of, that we can actually talk about. Secondly, there has been this enmity placed between police and black men that I think if they weren't replaying videos over and over and constantly putting them out, we wouldn't have that. They've kind of fueled this uh, fuel this fire that every time a black person is stopped, they automatically think, oh, the police is going to shoot me because they're hunting us down and they're trying to kill us because just because we're black. And I think that you don't have that here. So this provides an opportunity to talk about, as you said, the attitude, the, the, the lack of respect for authority. You know, why is it that we're seeing this in this age group, particularly, not just with police, but also in schools, in churches? There's no respect for authority with parents. So these are conversations that this should spark. But I do believe, you know, I think that uh, Delano was giving her the benefit of the doubt and not really understanding the nastiness that can come from women, I feel like she's she is trying to uh, flame, you know, the fire and make it worse and go ahead and push something out there and not take accountability that these are your officers. So as the leader, what what have you been putting out there? Because you can throw them under the bus all day long. You're still in charge here. So 
you're going to have to take some responsibility for their actions as well, especially as like you said, if all five of them just decided, okay, this is lock and step. This is what we're going to do to this man. What's happening in this department that was under black leadership or has been under black leadership for a very long time? These are conversations that I think this can actually spark if we don't go the route of let's just tear things up because this is, you know, what police do and they all hate us and they're the face of white supremacy because I've seen a lot of those posts lately. Yeah, I think what the argument's going to be is, oh, you drop a black cop into a racist institution and he's going to become racist against black people. That's the argument. There will be no discussion other than perhaps on this show and what we'll try to spark one among other people is like, if you drop a young black man's mindset or mind into a culture that says F authority and you don't have to respect authority and you should run from the police then don't be shocked that people that have one of the highest stress jobs in all of the world get frustrated when there's non-compliance and lose their cool and faculties and do something criminal. And, and that's not excusing the police, but, but it's, it's just like a real honest conversation that, and I, and I get why Cyril and Davis, particularly at this time, can't engage in that conversation, but those of us in the media certainly have the freedom to engage in that, in that situation. And if our young people are going to continually grow up in a culture, and it's not even, it's not even the young people, let's say that uh, Tyree Nichols has two great parents that are heavily involved in his life. But if he grows up in a culture, and Memphis certainly seems to be a part of this culture in terms of the swallowing of hip hop and baby mama culture and the worship of women and the matriarchal system and a lack of respect for male leadership and authority, Memphis certainly has that and many black communities have that. We need to, what does that do to our kids and does that make them exhibit behavior that puts them in jeopardy in any encounter with law enforcement or authority with, with a coach. I've seen, I don't, last week I saw a video of some young kid just talking crazy to his teacher and the teacher eventually snapped and beat him up and the teacher was wrong, but he's literally sat there and took like 10 minutes of this kid just talking crazy. Like, Nobody should ever talk to an authority figure, a teacher, anybody like that. But, but we promote social media and everybody's promoted this mentality of disrespect for authority. And, 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 you know, we talk about it constantly on this show. But when you abandon the natural order and, and you celebrate abandoning the natural order, man, woman and child, family, and all that comes along with that structure, when you abandon all that, don't be shocked that you keep running into problems with authority figures, regardless of what color they are, regardless of what age they are. These five police officers, I think the longest one had been on the force six years. 
And so I, I think they started having a black police chief like 12 years ago. And so th these police officers in Memphis have grown up under black leadership and, and, and certainly, you know, aren't members of the KKK. What is it about what's coming out of our young people that put us in constant conflict with authority? Right, because we can say, why are the police reacting to people over simple traffic stops? But we have to ask the question, why are we responding this way to simple traffic stops? You know, even if you your license are revoked, why are you running and fighting and trying to, you know, not in this instance, but I'm thinking about the one in Atlanta when he tried to reach for a, the police's taser. Why are you responding this way in simple traffic stops when you can just do what you're supposed to do and, and move on? It would be different. And we've seen this, I think, with Philando Castile when he let them know he had a firearm and he really wasn't doing anything in his seatbelt and was still shot. But when you all are jumping out and you want to run and you want to fight the police, we have to ask the question, what is the root of that? What's happening in our community that our people are responding this way or people in general, black or white, what are we doing? Are we creating something that's going to be worse or are we helping the situation? And I think we're making things worse by the way we respond and the way we fail to have these hard conversations. The, the, the blame, we always have to go back and look at the home and look at the family and what are we teaching these uh, kids? We have to do that, but for some reason, that's a hard conversation that we don't like to have. Sometimes even amongst each other, it's always easier to point the finger and blame someone else. And that's what we've started to do even with this situation. Just to say these are the faces of white supremacy is again, pointing the finger at somebody else instead of pointing the finger to the home and the way where it started. Because he could have easily, as you said, complied. And we have an issue with conflict resolution skills across the board. So why did these officers respond this way? And why did Tyree respond the way that he did? We have got to go back to the home, go back to the beginning and teach people how to respond to conflict because all of this, I'm going to beat your ass and you ain't going to do this and who you think you are and not. It don't always end up well. This is when keeping it real goes wrong on both sides. I'm going to ask a very sexist question that, you know, it's why people hate me. But it's, it's just it's like what people really talk about. And so I'm going I'm to talk about it. How could Memphis, a city that has the kind of violence problem that it has among young black men, they have uh, a mayor, I think his name is Jim Strickland, like a 60-year-old white guy. And again, his race is irrelevant. He, he's a Democrat or whatever. How does he go, man, we, are, we got this crime problem, black men and this violence problem. You know what we need to solve this? A black woman. Let's bring a black woman. She'll clean this up. And I know that's a sexist question to ask, but I just don't see that. You got a problem among black men 
and you're going to send a black woman in to fix it. That seems crazy to me. And, and I, you know, this whole worship of the black, the, the black woman may have helped you fix the election in 2020. And she may have been at all the drop boxes and stop Trump. Hire her to do that. Stop Trump. But as it relates to these young black men, I, I, I call me a sexist pig. Her record is just not good. And and <laughs> just it, it, it's single black mama and, and, and single black men. I, I, the ones that are abandoning their kids and all that, they're certainly to blame. But but I just couldn't imagine having that problem in Memphis and saying, yeah, Cyril and Davis, she, she she'll fix it. Right. I, I, and I, it's just, we just don't believe in male leadership. We don't. And I don't think that's a sexist question at all. It goes back to the conversation we had earlier in the week. I think it was, you know, Wednesday when you talked about reparations to women. Do we owe them reparations? And I think that a lot of times we are putting women in positions that they do not deserve simply because there's this feeling of, well, you've bent over and taken it from the back for, uh, from us for years. Now it's our turn to bend over. That is not how you take responsibility responsibility, even if you feel like women were marginalized at one time. Responsibility is putting your foot down and saying, okay, this is what we need and, and we're going to help you save yourself from yourself and not just bend over and go along with the foolishness that you think we need to go along with because it'll make you feel better. There's no way with the issue between black men that a woman should step in and be in charge. That's why I said she was terrible here. She sucked. We have an issue with gang violence here and uh, boys killing boys and men killing men. And then we got a female mayor on top of that simply because she was popular, went to church with people, was in the band, went to the high school with certain people. And she's a woman. We got to stop doing this and realize that men don't owe women anything. And in order for us to make changes and to, to, see things go in a better direction, we've got to go back to the beginning. Men are the head. Men are the providers and the protectors, and that's just the way it is. And we can continue to act like that's not the case, but we see the consequences of, of getting off track. So unless we go back to the beginning, I don't care whose feelings it hurts. I don't care if it makes somebody uncomfortable. She spent all this time in school and she's worked so hard to climb up the ladder. If you ain't it, you ain't it. If you're out of order, you're out of order. Sorry, that's not where you're supposed to be and that's not the position you're supposed to hold. It just isn't. Thank you, Shamika. Have an awesome weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Free and close sell. Steve Kim will talk some sports. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring in the Korean Cosell for some musings from uh, Korean Cosell. Cosell, we're going to try to cover a lot in a tight amount of time. Let's get right to it. Uh, I think we have the clip of Ray Lewis. Do we not have the clip? Or I just Ray Lewis saying that uh, Lamar Jackson needs a number one receiver. All right, Lamar Jackson needs a number one receiver. Lamar Jackson needs help. They haven't given Lamar Jackson the opportunity to really throw the ball down the field like this. Like, Let's let this guy do what I think he does very well. Hmm. I think Ray's chosen his words uh, strategically. He didn't say let's let him do what he does best. He said let's do what he does well. Do do you think a number one receiver fixes and or even just improves Lamar Jackson as a passer? It might improve him, but I I think, again, there's more than just one thing here. It's not just one thing. It's really everything. Okay, get him a number one, whatever you want to consider that, whether you draft him or whether you get a free agent or you make a trade. But then you also have to get a system. I mean, Greg Roman is getting thrown under the bus here. The same Greg Roman that last I checked, Jason, wasn't he the coordinator when Lamar, I don't know, won the MVP and they won a lot of games? So Roman gets no credit for that. Okay, but all the blame. And the other thing is, if you change a system where let's you go to more uh, – West Coast principles, where it's timing, ball gets out quickly, a lot of intermediate throws. Balls have to be thrown in a way where guys not only catch it, but catch it wrong. So that accuracy is really paramount. He's going to have to himself fix his mechanics. You talk to a lot of people or watch things from people that know a lot more football than me. They will tell you that Lamar's throwing mechanics from his lower body, they're a little bit odd. So it's not just one thing. Again, it's everything. I agree with you. I think throwing Greg Roman under the bus the way that's going on is inappropriate and silly. But what men will do for money, uh, they yeah. will abandon and, you know, throw anybody under the bus. And that's what's going on with Greg Roman is the reason I'm not a pocket passer is because of Greg Roman. It's not because <laughs> I love running and I'm great at running and, you know, my mechanics aren't the greatest. We'll... Can they sign a free agent number one receiver? I don't know. Maybe they can draft one. Better chance of that than signing one. uh, According to Bernard Pollard, they can't. Okay, remember what he said a few months ago. And to me, there's an old phrase from coaches. Think players, not plays. In other words, don't try to uh, fit a square peg into a round hole. Now, Jason, doesn't it make sense and isn't it logical that if you are a coordinator – that you look at the players and specifically your quarterback and say, okay, what does he do well? What's not necessarily his strength and let's play to the strength? This is where I don't get. No one has ever accused Lamar Jackson of being prime Dan Marino inside the pocket. So, again, if you want to prove everybody wrong that there's a full evolution of LJ8, okay, he himself, though, is going to have to do some work on becoming a more accurate passer within the pocket. Uh, let's move on. Everybody's caping up for Steve Wilkes. He went 6-6 six and six as the interim coach of the Carolina Panthers. They've named Frank Reich, 
the new coach of the Carolina Panthers. Of course, this is racism, Steve. There could be no other explanation. I mean, Steve Wilkes went six and six. He's a defensive-minded coach. The Carolina Panthers are looking to solve their quarterback problem. Is, 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 did Steve mm-hmm. Wilkes, did he deserve the Carolina job? Yes. And I don't know if it's racism that he didn't get it, because Frank Reich is a really respected football man. Uh, I told Coach JB yesterday on his show, I think Wilkes did more than enough to actually put himself in consideration for that head coaching post. I mean, let's, let's go back about two and a half months ago. Under Matt Rule, that team was dead fish. I mean, they looked absolutely lifeless. The Baker Mayfield experiment obviously didn't work out. And by the end of the year, Wilkes had the Panthers into being a very, very tough out. And it really opened my eyes. The one team that absolutely steamrolled the Lions the last two and a half months during their great run was the Panthers. They just physically bullied them. And I said, wow, Wilkes is doing a pretty good job. Now, I know this isn't going to sound good to a lot of people, but that man right there, Steve Wilkes, has done at least enough to stay on the radar. And it will be interesting to see what opportunities he gets moving forward. So you said he deserved the job, so you'd rather have Steve Wilkes than Frank Wright. Well, that's a tough one. But if I was the Panthers, <laughs> and let's say I owned the Panthers 36 hours ago, and looking at the cost and the momentum, yes, I actually would have said, Steve, you've done enough to earn this job. Yeah, you asked me that question, that's my answer. Four coaches in the final four are all offensive-minded coaches, Mm, and you're going with a defensive-minded coach when you need a quarterback. Right, and but but again, the last 20 years, who's won the most Super Bowls? Isn't it Bill Belichick, a defensive guy? So, look, when you are a defensive-minded coach, I think it is absolutely imperative that you let someone else run that offense. Okay, so I I look. There are certain trends. There is a perception that offensive coaches are a little bit better, not only in terms of the offense, because that's obvious, but game management and clock management. That, there, there is that perception that defensive coaches aren't really good at this kind of stuff. But again, the Panthers are not a year or two away from a Super Bowl. This seems like a relatively young team with some pretty good parts, specifically defense. They traded McCaffrey, so that obviously tells you this is a rebuild. And to me, 6-6 six and six with that team, that looked like they were going to win three games the whole year. Again, I think it was a very commendable job by Steve Wilkes. All right. Not bad. Good job. You hung in the pocket. Uh, <laughs> WNBA players, Steve, Ugh. WNBA players are raising hell because they can't fly private. NBA oh. players fly private. If they just flew private, the product would be so much better. Flying commercial is so devastating and traumatic on their health. They should be flying private. It's sexism that they're not flying private. They're owed this. It doesn't matter whether the WNBA can afford this. They need more welfare provisions and it's up to the NBA and the rest of America to provide that welfare to the women of the WNBA. Uh, do you agree? Should WNBA players fly private? Okay, in the immortal words of Justin Timberlake, yes, Tim, cry me a river. I, if it was up to me based on what their actual value is and how much money they lost, not only should they fly on Southwest, 
they should actually be in like group D or F. And they shouldn't even be allowed to get like the free carry on. That's what they're really worth. I, I don't understand this sense of entitlement. You're propped up by the, the NBA. Uh, you don't make any money. Nobody knows who you are. I know one thing about them flying like with the public, the proletariat, us peasants. Uh, they would never be bugged for autographs. So it's not like you know, LeBron flew commercial. It'd be a bit of an issue. Let's be let's be honest. It'd be a line of selfies all the way long. I mean, you could never get the plane off. Here's the thing that me. Jason, do you believe that this version of the WNBA is even as popular as the of the NBA of the late 70s and 80s? Yes or no? Do you think? Heck no. Right. Okay. So this is interesting. I've watched a lot of those NBA films from that era, specifically when the Lakers would play the Celtics and like do these highlight films, like the 85 Lakers championship season. And always the last 20 minutes focused in on the NBA finals. And they got a lot of access. Did you know during the NBA finals, and I think back then it was like a 2-2-1-1-1. So you're flipping back and forth the cities from the garden to the form. There was footage of like the Lakers, Kareem, Worthy, Magic, McAdoo, Cooper. They're literally in the airport terminal with regular people, and they're just loading up their flight on, like, airlines that don't even exist anymore, like Pan Am. And they're just flying. Like, they might be in front front row, the first class, but they are with the public. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you guys aren't even that version of the NBA. You are worth really nothing. You're lucky to have a job. I know that sounds cold and harsh, you're lucky you're not riding the boxcars like hobos. Give me a break. If, if I was an owner to save costs, I'd look into the cost of a group Uber. So, again, count your blessings, ladies. <laughs> count your blessings. God, sick of I would, I would make them fly Spirit Airlines. Oh, uh, even I, I wouldn't wow. even give them Southwest. I'd make them fly Spirit Airlines. You know, you know the great thing about Spirit? What they really should consider, Steve, yeah. is what the USFL football does, where they don't they play all the games in basically one or two cities, and the teams right. are all housed in one or two cities. That's what the WNBA is worth at this point. This sense of entitlement is just Ugh. completely out of hand. Jason, any team that fly with Spirit. Uh, that's one team I would never want to get into a bench-clearing brawl with because they would be conditioned for that. And I'd be like, oh, hey, guys, 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 he's back. They flew on spirit. They're ready for this. They bought that life. Anyway. All right, let's move to the NFL championship games this Sunday. And we'll start with the uh, Bengals and the Chiefs, the most interesting game. Someone emailed me this analogy that I think is really accurate. And you're talking to a guy after two weeks into the season, made the mistake of comparing Joe, Joe Burrow to Josh Rosen. Uh, and now here I am at the end of the season and someone emailed me and said, Jason, Joe Burrow is the modern day Dan Marino. And as soon as they said mm. that, I was like, holy, that's exactly who he is. He's, he's Dan Marino. And I, I love that analogy and I love it as a compliment, but I also, if that's true, if he is Dan Marino, he's losing this weekend to the modern-day Joe Montana, uh, Patrick Mahomes. You like the analogy of comparing Joe Burrow to Dan Marino? Oh, I don't know. Let's, let's revisit this in about 14, 15 years. Let's look at Marino. Marino made the Super Bowl this year. Uh, New England Patriots. I don't know. And I think the rest of his career, 
Marino went to one more championship game in 92 Buffalo, and they lost that one. Other than that, it was kind of a mediocre to somewhat good run where he racked up a lot of numbers. So you're telling me, based on that, that analogy, Jason, that Joe Burrow, not only does he lose this weekend, but for the next dozen or so years, he only gets as far as one AFC title game. You're willing to make that bet. If we put odds on the table, up on the board, you would take that prop bet. Just one more championship game after this for the next dozen years or so. That's what you're telling me. The guy made the analogy. The guy made the analogy, and I'm making the analogy, not based off of what's going to happen with his career. Dan Marino is the greatest passer, pure pocket passer, I've seen in football history. I think this guy saying Joe Burrow may end up being the greatest pocket passer of this era. Okay, and that's a great compliment, but there's one difference. As of right now, Joe Burrow has both knees, even though he got injured his rookie year. He's much more mobile. Um, Since he's a white quarterback, I'm going to say it. He has deceptive speed, but he's very crafty. He can extend plays with his legs much more than Dan Marino ever could. By the way, Dan Marino... He had a great pocket presence, but he could never really, if he needed six yards on a run, that wasn't the type of game that he played. I have a question for you, though, Jason. Let's say your guy, uh, um, Patrick Mahomes, somehow loses to the Bengals and Burroughs the fourth straight time. What's his analogy then? Where does Mahomes stand in everything? I, I got you've See? caught me with See? my pants See? down. That's what I do. A Call little bit, but he's won a Call Super Bowl. He's headed towards mm-hmm. towards his second MVP. He's he's on the Aaron Rodgers track if he loses. Okay. He, he's on the track mm. to be the next Aaron Rodgers. That 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 would be my analogy. Mm. Okay. Let's, Cosell, let's wrap this up. Let's move over to the NFC. I got an interesting question. The, the Eagles and Jalen Hurts versus that San Francisco, Nick Bosa, D'Amico Ryan-led 49ers defense. I think Jalen Hurts needs to win this game to legitimize himself as a franchise quarterback. He's had a great season. Mm. No one's knocking that. If he wins the MVP, I'm not going to be upset, even though Patrick Mahomes deserves it. But does he need this victory on Sunday to legitimize himself as a franchise quarterback? I would say yes, and if he wins this game while playing well and is an asset, he then secures his future as the next decade-long quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is a litmus test. Now, for the record, I believe this is a very even game, but I am going with the home team. I just don't see Brock Purdy, as much as I like him and the strides that he's made, going into that pit, where it'll be a hostile environment with the very talented roster winning that game and hurts his legs against the very active San Francisco defense, I think will be the difference. And if he leads them to a Super Bowl victory, it absolutely legitimizes him. I don't think there's any way at at that point. Now, here's the interesting thing for all this talk of Lamar Jackson being the half billion dollar man, according to all his agents online, you know, the managers, right? Um, What if Hertz walks in and wins a Super Bowl? In his second or third year, let's say he's named the MVP or is the runner-up to Mahomes. It's either one or two. And he wins a Super Bowl. What's his value on the open market? I, I find that fascinating because everyone's talking about what Lamar is worth. And he's worth a lot. What would that kid be worth at this point? 
a lot more than Lamar. Thank you for the mm-hmm. time. We'll see you on the other side on Monday. We're going to fix up that internet connection uh, by Monday. Uh, I hear tomorrow, or I should hear tomorrow. And that means, you know, we will see you tomorrow because we got a little special Saturday edition of Fearless. Uh, so I hear tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just.